All right, so we're in a series called Expectations. This is, uh, this is Advent. Advent just means we're waiting. It means the beginning of something. We're expecting something. We're, we're what we sang just now, come, come now long expected Jesus. That's what the season is about. So I don't know what, um, I don't know what you came in, in here with today. Um, I had a rough week, uh, but I had a, an awesome, awesome, spectacular weekend. Um, it was uh, Friday night, Saturday, we spent a time just pouring into our leaders, uh, those who are leaders of ministries and teams here at Trinity Life, um, and they just poured so much into my soul, uh, so thank you guys, um, but it was just a spectacular weekend, so um, rough week, a couple days changed that, now we're here together in a new week, so whatever you came in with, whatever happened this past week, uh, this is a new week, um, and we're going to start fresh this morning by worshiping our Lord Jesus through scripture and uh, through song. So we've been going through the story of the prodigal son. Um, this is the story about two sons. <laughs> Actually, someone said to me jokingly this morning, is the series over? Because there's only two sons. So what are we talking about today? Are you going to make up sons? Uh, <laughs> he knew we were talking about the father. Um, but uh, yeah, we are. this is a four or five week series we'll take through our Christmas Eve service. Today we're going to talk about the father. But let me just summarize the story for you. Uh, this is coming out of Luke 15. Uh, Jesus comes uh, before people and there's, a, there's two groups. There's tax collectors and sinners. Um, so in the sinners category, uh, in, the, in this gospel, uh, this is what they would throw in this category um, in that day, is the poor, the oppressed, the, the, uh, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Um, that's that category. And then he has another category over here of Pharisees. Those were the religious right. Those are the legalistic ones trying to live by the law, those, those types of things. Um, what's funny is, uh, in, the, in the prodigal son story, the, the younger brother types, the ones who, like we just read, they took the father's inheritance, squandered the wealth, um, then come back to the Father. Those are these tax collectors and sinners over here, uh, which, which the Pharisees were saying, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not them over here. And Jesus is actually teaching this story specifically to the Pharisees. He's saying, you guys are actually the ones who are blinded. You guys are pointing to these people who are considered sinners and these people who, who are considered cheaters and liars and thieves, but you guys are the ones who are blinded to the Father's love and the Father's joy. And he's trying to open them up to that uh, by sharing this parable with them. So we've been talking about reckless expectations. That's the younger brother. We talked about rigid expectations. Those are the Pharisees. That's the elder brother type. Um, today we're talking about wrong expectations. We have, a long, we have a lot of wrong expectations about the Father and how the Father's going to react. So um, I was telling this story this weekend. Actually, my wife kind of made me tell this story. So, um, uh, the other morning, so this was Friday morning, um, Missy gets up at 6 a.m., she gets up, um, she's getting ready, shower's going on. My alarm went off at 6.05, but I don't get up on the first alarm. I get up on the next one, or the next one. I don't know, maybe there's three or four times. I don't even realize I'm hitting the button, I think. So I'm, I'm really groggy when I wake up in the morning. So it's around 6, 6.20, and the shower's off, and that's when I hear music in the house, like really loud music. 
And uh, I was like, babe, I said, babe, there's music playing. Because sometimes Reagan has this music, that, this toy that plays some music, and I, I was thinking, maybe it's that. But then it was like, boom, 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 boom. Like, it was like heavy, like, beats. And, um, and so I get out of bed, and um, like I said, I mean, I'm really groggy. I didn't have my contacts in. If you know anything, like, if I don't have my contacts in, I couldn't tell the difference between Michelle and Days. I mean, the scarf might help, but it's like my vision is really bad. So um, I have my glasses. So I put my glasses on, but my glasses are horrible. Um, so I'm like having trouble seeing still. Um, but I hear this music, and all these thoughts go in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? It's like really heavy rap music. I started hearing. I'm like, wait, why is there like loud, heavy rap music playing in my house? It's not coming from outside. Um, so all these scenarios play in my head. Um, I'm like, everything from, are there teenagers like robbing my house and partying while they're doing it? <laughs> to, <laughs> I actually thought, um, like Isaac stayed with us for a little bit a few months ago. Is Isaac surprising us this morning? Like this sounds like his type of music. <laughs> um, like is he like downstairs? I'm like, it's cool, uh, but it's kind of weird if he is. Um, and so in my nightstand, I have a 12 inch long Bowie knife. My dad has, it's, my dad's given it to me, passed it down generations, it has like an ivory handle. If you know Crocodile Dundee, it's that type of knife. So, that's annoying. <laughs> so I have that, and I'm like, I have no idea what to expect. Our bedroom door is closed. I have no idea what's going to be there when I open it. So, I grab the knife. Um, I open the door, <laughs> I open the door and there's nothing there, but the music's louder, right? So I'm walking down the stairs, and I see that the, I, I realize right away, the music is coming from a diaper bag. It's coming from Esther Kittle's diaper bag that uh, was, uh, it was left at our house. So um, it was her alarm on her cell phone. It was like really loud. <laughs> um, so you got to understand, like, uh, it's, it sounds weird, right? You got to understand, like, I spent some very formative years of my life uh, growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I mean, how, how Tijuana was just described, like Albuquerque is very much like that. It's gangs, it's drugs. At my schools, there were drive-bys, kidnappings. Like, I had a, like, my dad's ex-military. Like, he trained us for every situation. Like, we're always prepared for everything. Um, I've actually been in three life-threatening situations where I thought I might die. Um, because of, I was in a back alley in Libya, or we're in the favelas in Rio, um, like things that, ghettos of America, <laughs> like things where like, I thought, okay, this might be the end here. Like I've been, I've actually been attacked three separate times like, in my life. So like, I got a lot, like, so me getting the knife is nothing to me. So I'm telling this story, uh, um, to a few people this weekend, and uh, Val says this. She, I think it was Val, it was either Val or Kelly. Um, she's like, but you're in Canada. <laughs> and it was like, at that moment, I was like, yeah, I'm in Canada. It's safe here. Like, we're good. Like, we're, we're safe. I have nothing to worry about. And it was like, kind of, actually, when she said that, it was like, something clicked to me. It was like, something lifted. I was like, oh, yeah. We're in Canada. Now, I don't think my, my 
anticipation and preparation was like foolish. Um, but uh, I had wrong expectations, right? I was expecting something that, that wasn't there. I was expecting something wrong. And that's what this whole parable is about. It's, it's two sons, and they have wrong expectations about the father. It's built, their whole lives are built on wrong expectations. And the younger brother, they don't understand how even the father uh, interacts with them. And the younger brother, when he returns, he says, uh, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a servant. The elder brother, he says, I've slaved for you all these years. So they both have this slave mentality. They don't have a son mentality. They're expecting something different from the father. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to I take your expectations of the father, of God himself. And maybe, today's a, maybe today is your, but you're in Canada moment. Maybe today is, but you're in Canada. Like, that's not who the father is. And so we're going to talk about what the heart of the Father is this morning uh, as we walk through this, this narrative here. So um, seven things. Sounds like a lot, but um, not when we're talking about the heart of the Father. <laughs> seven things. Um, first thing is, the Father wants what is best for you, okay? I want you to realize that about God, about the Father. He wants what is best for you. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that but the Father wants what is best for you. He, if you look at the beginning of the story, uh, younger brother comes up to the Father and he says, I want my inheritance. Basically, he just backhanded the Father in the face and said, you might as well be dead to me. I mean, that's when you get an inheritance, when someone has died. And so basically, he goes up to the Father, I mean, symbolically slaps him in the face, says, you're dead to me, give me my money, and I'm going to go live my life. We don't see the father do anything but grant his request. The father doesn't do what my dad would do. <laughs> um, the father grants his request, even though it's completely insulting, socially unacceptable. And actually, when the father, when it says the father divides his property, that uh, that word for property is life. So basically, it's saying he's dividing his life up. He's giving his life right now to the younger brother. He's giving, he's sacrificing for him something. Um, and even though the father knows that all it's going to do is end in emptiness, hardship, um, tough times, uh, he still grants his request because he knows that the son doesn't have the right relationship with him right now. He recognizes that. And he knows that this might be the vehicle to bring him back. So, like I said, when I, when I open up, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know um, what hardship or tough times you're going through right now, depression, finances, relationships. But remember that the Father wants what is best for you. Um, and the question you should be asking through all those times isn't, uh, well, oftentimes we blame the Father. The question should be, what is the Father speaking to me through this? It's hear, trust, obey. We talk about it all the time, hearing the Father's voice. Second thing, so the Father wants what is best for you. Uh, this is coming out of verse 20. Uh, the Father waits for you. We see that the Father, um, the Son says, I'm going to arise, I'm going to go home. And the Father sees him from a long way off. He sees him from a long way off, it says, while he's still a long way. And it shows that the Father was searching for him. It shows that the Father was anticipating his return, that he was expecting, that he was waiting for it. Because he's checking the horizon. He's, he's looking for, for the son. 
And he says when he sees him, he feels compassion. And now, I think when we, when we see that, we're like, okay, okay, okay he, he felt compassion. But in the scriptures, compassion isn't something that comes from here, from the chest. It's something that comes from here, from the gut. Have you ever felt compassion from your gut? Like, where it's just gut-wrenching compassion, where he just feels something for his son, not here in his head, not here in his, his chest, but like right here in his bowels and his, in his guts. Um, this, the, and it's like just this amazing picture that, that he just, um, like he hurts for his son. He's overjoyed that he's returned. Um, and he'd been expecting him to do that. I hate waiting. Like I hate it. Kelly and I were talking about this yesterday. We hate waiting, right, Kelly? Like we don't, we don't like it. If, if, you, <laughs> uh, if you've ever had a meeting with me, you may notice that I show up right on time, or I try to show up right on time. Val's laughing because she knows that it's actually more like I'm late, which, is, <laughs> which typically happens because I don't want to, I don't like waiting. I feel like waited time is wasting time. Um, the father doesn't feel that way. The father knows that waiting, waiting time isn't wasted time because he's doing something in us. He's always waiting. His timing is always perfect. He's never late. And the son remembered that. He remembered that. He, he's in the pigsty, which is the lowest of the low for a Jewish person. He was in the pigsty with the pigs, the most unclean animal. He was employed by a Gentile uh, master. Like, that was like the double whammy. I mean, it was just like, oh, it's, oh my life is over. Um, but he recognizes, wait, my father is waiting for me. So he arises and he goes to the father. Arise and go to the father. Number three, uh, the father has unbridled affection for you. So he sees him on the horizon. He feels compassion. And then the father runs to him. He just takes off and he runs to him. Now some scholars like make a really big deal about this, like, Oh, men in that time, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, run to people, blah, 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 blah. Um, what does it feel like? Have you ever had someone run to you? Like, we don't need to even know that. Like, have you ever had someone run to you when they saw you? Like, check out this picture. Uh, this is a picture that Adam took about a year and a couple months ago. Emmy, you remember that? <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know Adam was taken. Emmy was actually running from that building over there. So she's running from a long ways off, which is why Adam, smart, wise Adam, who doesn't have kids yet, took his, <laughs> took his uh, cell phone out and took a picture, which is what probably Missy should have done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and Emerson is running as fast as she can to me. I mean, she's just all out running. Look, she, her, her little arms are open, and I'm just waiting for her. That was, this is one of my favorite pictures because of what it captures. And it captures this feeling of bliss and value. And I felt so valued by her because she's running to me. I felt so overjoyed because she was overjoyed. That's what it feels like when someone runs to you. That's what it feels like when the father uh, picks up his robe and runs to the younger brother. And who knows? Who knows what happened when he met him? I mean, it says that he, they, he embraced him and he kissed him, but maybe they fell to the ground while, while they did it. Like, just immense joy, right? 
Um, this is the picture that I want you to have of coming home to the Father. That's the heart of the Father right there. That picture is the heart of the Father. And that's what coming home to the Father is like. He's there, open, waiting. It's unbridled affection. It's overwhelming love. And we want you to feel that. The Father wants you to feel that. The scriptures say uh, in 1 John 1.8, the Apostle John writes, he says that God is love. Um, he doesn't say that love is God, uh, which would be different, right? He says God is love. He's saying that love is one attribute of the Father. Love is one attribute of God. Um, if, 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 love, if love is God, then we could just worship love. But that's not the case. God is love. It's one attribute, but it's a perfect attribute of the Father. Even though it's just one, it's perfect. Okay? Um, so that means that since God is love, wherever love is, God is. That's, that's a true thing about God. Um, A.W. Tozer says this about God's affection and his love. A.W. Tozer is a great theologian, one of the greatest theologians of the past century, um, a former Toronto pastor at uh, Avenue, on Avenue Road. Before that was um, something else. So um, he pastored what's now Bayview Glen uh, Church. And so he says this about the love of God. He says, the love of God is one of the great realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests, but it is personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations, he loves people. He does not love masses, but men. He loves us all with a mighty love that has no beginning and can have no end. In Christian experience, there is a highly satisfying love content that distinguishes it from all other religions and elevates it to heights far beyond even the purest and noblest philosophy. This love content is more than a thing. It is God himself in the midst of his church singing over his people. True Christian joy is the heart's harmonious response to the Lord's song of love. Just picture God singing over you. That's his unbridled affection. Number four is, the Father approves you. You notice when the Son comes home, this is coming out of verse 22, the Son comes home and the Father, uh, we notice the Son has wrong expectations, right? He has, he's been rehearsing this speech in his mind. He, he's been in the pigsty and he's like, I'm going to go home. I'm not worthy to be called a Son anymore, but I can ask Dad to treat me like a hired servant. So that's what he does. He says, he starts to say this, and the father stops him right there. And what was, what was wrong with the younger brother's expectations was, what he needed to realize was he was never worthy. He was never worthy. And that's the point. It's because it wasn't about his worthiness. And the, the younger brother's phrasing in, implies that he still knows he's the father's son. Because he says, um, I know I'm not worthy to be called your son. He didn't say, I know I'm not worthy to be your son. He said, I know I'm not worthy to be called your son. So he, it implies that he still knows he's a son, but he needs to do something to earn being called his son. And that's not how the father operates. He doesn't operate out of, off of 
performance. He doesn't operate off of us doing things to gain approval. And I know we say this to you every week, that you're a child of God, that you're a son of God, that you're a daughter of God. Bruce prayed it over you guys just before this. But does that resonate with you? The younger brother, he knew that he was, he was his child, the father's child, but he didn't act like it. Do you know that, and we say it all the time, you have to know you're, you're a son or daughter of God, but are you still trying to gain his approval somehow? The father, um, is, the scriptures say quickly, he quickly went and got the best robe and put it on him. He didn't give the son any time to make it up. He went, grabbed the best robe, put it on him. This isn't the robe that the son left behind. This is the best one. This is a different one. Um, did I... Did you have Zechariah 3 up there? Okay. Uh, let me read this to you. Um, this is, this is Zechariah... Chapter 3, um, verses 3 through 7. Now, this is the picture of, of uh, garments here. It says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. So his garments are filthy, they're dirty, um, they're not pure. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Behold, I have taken your iniquity, your sin. I have taken it away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the, and, and the Lord of hosts says, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. That's, that's the picture of what God's doing here. He's taking, the Father is taking dirty garments and replacing them with clean garments. And it's a picture of it's a picture of the father saying, I don't care what, what you've done with the inheritance. I don't care what uh, your life has been for the past however long it was, few weeks, months, years, you are clean and pure and blameless in my sight because you've recognized that you need to return. And he's put a clean robe on him. The father has a new robe for you Brand new clothes. He has pure clothes for you. We don't have to carry our sin over into our relationship with the Father. We have new garments. We have Jesus Christ and we're robed in his righteousness, the scriptures say. So the Father fully approves you. That's what the robe represents. It represents this complete approval. Um, number five, the Father restores you. This is the, the picture of the ring. Um, the ring represents uh, like authority and affections. Um, we don't have to go too far uh, to see this. Um, a, one, one great picture of this in the scriptures is in Genesis, the story of, of Joseph. Joseph was a, he was sold into slavery, went into Egypt, uh, thrown into prison, was accused of something he never did. Um, he took the high road, uh, was thrown into prison uh, for years and years, and was, was in the depths of a, of a prison in Egypt. And then he does something for Pharaoh, the king, and Pharaoh takes him from the depths of the prison, puts his ring on his finger, and, and 
puts him, uh, restores him, and puts him in the highest office in the land. That's the picture of what the father is doing here um, to the son. He's giving him authority. He's putting all of his affections on him. And this is this isn't that much different from um, a husband giving or a boyfriend giving his girlfriend an engagement ring, right? It's, it's the same thing. Uh, when I proposed to Missy, it was, here's, here's this ring. All, you have all of my affections. You have, uh, you have all of my life, basically. Um, and then, same thing. I mean, when we, when we were married, she gives me a ring, right? Not as fancy, not as beautiful, but nevertheless, a ring. <laughs> um, and so, and that's, that's what it represents. Like, we're giving each other uh, full affection, uh, full authority, and into one another's lives. We're giving each other life. Um, that's what the Father is doing here. But uh, he also, number six, um, I'm going to hit these, I'm going to hit the next one pretty fast too so we can focus on the last one. Um, the Father frees you. So he gives him shoes. He gives, he gives his son here new shoes. He says, put shoes on his feet. The son has been living as a slave. Um, and he didn't have shoes. It was a sign of freedom. It was a sign of identification as not as a slave, but as a son. I want you guys to, to ask yourself that this morning. Do you have a slave mentality in your relationship with the father? Or do you have a son mentality, a daughter mentality in your relationship with the father? Like those, those are two very different mentalities, slave versus son. Slave works for approval. Son works out of approval. He knows he's approved. He knows that if he messes up, he doesn't have any condemnation or judgment. He just gets restored. This guy over here who's a slave, if he messes up, he feels like punishment is coming and judgment. That's not the Father. That's not God. That's not who, who, who we live for, who we live by. Um, and we're going to see that in the last point. The Father celebrates. This is uh, number seven. The Father celebrates because of you. The Father celebrates because of you and with you. That should give you joy. The Father celebrates because of you. And then he celebrates with you. The father doesn't waste, in the story, the father doesn't waste any time. He kills the fattened calf. That was something reserved for very special occasions. Uh, kills the fattened calf, invites everybody over, probably the whole village over. Um, and they're having this party. It says there's music, there's dancing, there's uh, fun. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, there's a feast. You know, it's, it's a great party. The father's love is so lavish this is the picture of God's love to us. It's so lavish. It's so extravagant. He's just pouring it out on us. That the younger brother, he doesn't say, oh, I don't, I don't deserve this, Dad. He has really no choice but to accept it and celebrate and fall into it. So many times in our lives when the Father is trying to forgive us and restore us, we, we still think we don't deserve it. Say, oh, I don't deserve it, God. It's not about whether you deserve it or not. It's about the Father giving you something and you accepting it, okay? And that's what the younger son does. The older son, on the other hand, uh, he's out in the field working and slaving. Uh, he's this guy over here with the slave mentality. And he hears this music and dancing and he goes and he asks one of the servants, he says, hey, what's going on? And he says, well, your, your brother, he's, he's back. He's alive. Um, and the elder brother is 
angry. And he refuses to go in. He's just so angry. And the father actually notices the elder brother's absence. And he comes out to the field to meet the elder brother. And he pleads with him, it says. It says he pleads with him. So we see the father coming out to the son. That's what the father does for us. He he doesn't just wait for us. He pursues us. And he's just uh, so angry. He and the father is pleading with him. Please come in, join the celebration. He doesn't. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't say, "Why aren't you in here? You need to come in here, whether you like it or not, and have some fun." He says, "Please come in. Your, your younger brother is back. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. Why aren't you happy about this? What's what's?" keeping you from coming in. And literally the father says, because the son, he still doesn't get it. The elder brother, he still doesn't get it. And he's like, why are you doing this for him? He squandered your wealth. He made a fool out of you. He slapped you in the face. He, he took your very life from you, from us. And when the father says, he was dead, now he's alive, he was lost, now he's found, he says, we had to celebrate. We had to. Literally, if you were to translate that literally, it would say, it was necessary to celebrate. He was just like, we were compelled to. It was the only option. We couldn't not celebrate. We had to do it. And the elder brother says, I don't have to do it. And the story kind of ends, like, open-ended. We don't know if the elder brother ever goes in or not. It just ends with his angry heart. What's keeping you from celebrating? Like what kept the older brother from celebrating? Was it his hatred towards his brother? Was it his lack of ability to dispense grace and forgiveness? Was it, um, was it his own bitterness and anger? Was it his selfish attitude? Was it his slave mentality? It was all those things. So yes, it was all those things. What's keeping you from celebrating? What's keeping you from experiencing celebration with the Father. Do you know what happens when we don't go into the party? Do you know what happens when, uh, I mean, what do you think happened when the elder brother didn't go in? I learned this weekend that I was also diagnosed with FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so you guys identify with me. Um, I know Kelly does. Um, I, like <laughs> uh, I, the party still goes on. That's the thing. If you go to bed early, the party's still going. So you are missing out. Um, the elder brother, if you refuse to go in, they didn't stop the party. God's not stopping the party because you're not going in. He's not stopping to celebrate because you've decided not to celebrate. He's still celebrating those who have been lost and now are found those who are dead, and now are alive. And the one missing out isn't the Father, it's you. The parable right before this, Jesus says, um, go, invite, go invite these people uh, to the great banquet. And they all respond negatively. They all RSVP no. They say, oh, I'm busy, I've got to go do this, I've got to go do this, do that. Um, and the master of the banquet gets angry and he says, 
I don't care. Just invite everybody in because this is a great thing we're doing here. Just invite everybody in and, and compel them to come in. Like, plead with them. And uh, he fills the house. They fill the banquet. Um, that's, that's our invitation from God. It's, it's come on in. Like, fill, fill the banquet. Fill the house. If you don't come in, somebody else will. And so that invitation is for you. Um, in early 2012, uh, I, we, we knew we were moving to Toronto. Uh, we moved at the end of 2012, but early 2012, we knew we were moving here. Uh, I, was, um, uh, I was a youth pastor. We had resigned there and um, just took that year to really focus on raising funds and getting things together, immigrating, all those things. Um, but the day I resigned from, from the church, it was a really sweet day. Um, they had known that we were, they had known that we were leaving since we got there, basically. Um, and so uh, there was just a really special time with them supporting us and sending us off and praying over us and giving us gifts and just loving on us. Um, but it was a really long day. Um, it was a really long day. We we got home um, at like eight or nine that night, and um, on the drive home, Missy started complaining about like uh, her her stomach was hurting. Um, and Missy is uh, like when it comes to sickness, it's hard for her to describe like what's going on in her body. So like surely you'd get frustrated with Missy, like. I don't know how to help you. <laughs> What's happening in there? <laughs> so I'm about to redeem my comment uh, last week for you, Shirley. Um, so, <laughs> um, so we get home, and and the thing you have to know about Missy is she's she's little, she's tiny, uh, she looks fragile, but she's this like she's a machine. She needs very little sleep to operate. She, yeah, she, I mean, she keeps everything in order. She's just very industrious. She's the most hardworking person that I know. Um, well, her and Daniel are like, <laughs> they're, they're like fighting for it. <laughs> um, she's, uh, so when it comes to, so that translates to pain. When it comes to pain, she just takes it. She doesn't complain about it. This is emotional pain, physical pain, mental pain. She doesn't complain. Like, I've never heard her complain, which is crazy. Um, probably because I'm always complaining. So she's like, I don't have time to complain. <laughs> i got to deal with your issues. Um, but so, like, I had no idea how long she'd been hurting, right? So she tells me when we get home, she's like, it's been killing me all day. And I'm like, why didn't you say anything? I mean, all day it's been killing you. And she's doubled over. We get home. She's doubled over. We have the girls at the same. Yeah, we had Reagan. We had both of them. Um, she's doubled over nine at night, and I'm trying to diagnose this. I'm like, well, is it gas? <laughs> like, you just need some Tums or Pepto or something, something you ate? And she's like, no, it's like, I'm like, uh. <laughs> it's like, well, is it a muscle? Like, did you strain a muscle? And well, I'm asking all these questions, and we get down to, I, I realize, I was like, I think it's an organ, like it's an internal organ that is, is the problem. 
And that's when she freaks out. She's like, oh, wow, like, I think that's it. And so she has to go to the ER by herself because I have the kids. Um, so she drives herself, like, the ER, like, probably swerving all over the road. <laughs> um, which we had to. I mean, the girls were in bed, and um, luckily it was pretty close. Uh, so she, she goes there. Um, they find out it's her gallbladder. So she had a gallstone the size of an egg in her gallbladder, which is the size of your gallbladder, basically. Um, so she has a gallstone in the size of her gallbladder. Like, so my first thought when, I, when the doctor told me that, I was like, that couldn't have just happened today, right? Like, that gallstone didn't just form in her gallbladder today. He's like, well, no, it's been forming. She's been feeling pain. And I'm like, how, how, I don't get it, like, how she's not feeling pain. Um, but the pain got, like, because it had been forming for a long time, right, to get that size. So they had to remove it immediately. He said, we got to send her into surgery immediately. Um, I mean, her life is in danger. I mean, if something happens, uh, you know, we, we got to take it out. Um, so uh, they took it out. Everything, everything was great. It was a long a long night, um, but like the next day she's up and she's like doing her thing. I mean, like back to work. I had to force her to take off work the next day. Um, so uh, she did. Uh, but uh, that's the difference. Like Missy got to the point where she was feeling this immense pain. She finally had felt it so badly that um, the choice was go to the doctor or not. The choice was almost like life and death. It's like, do I choose life or do I choose death? And this is the son going to the father. He's like, I can stay here in this pain. I can stay here in this turmoil. You can stay there in your troubles. And I don't need to put words to it, but whatever you're going through. Um, or you can arise like the younger brother did and go to the doctor. Go to the father. And that's what the younger brother does in this story. Um, and you guys can come up. It's the, difference, it's the difference between the younger brother staying with the pigs and dying in the slop and in the muck and the difference between him living as the father wants him to live with an abundant life, with goodness and unbridled affection and restoration and freedom and all those things that I talked about that are the heart of the father. But notice, though, that the father's been waiting there. He's been anticipating, he's been expecting, he's been waiting for the younger brother. But the younger brother doesn't see the father's heart until he repents. The younger brother doesn't see the father's heart until he realizes his own state. And his heart is open, and now he can look to the father and see his true heart. Because this whole time, he's been feeling condemnation and judgment, and he wants to live his life how he wants to do it. But now that he's realized his condition, and now that he's really truly repented and gone back to the Father and said, here I am, take me as is, he can truly see the heart of the Father. He sees restoration. He experiences freedom. He experiences love. He experiences this unbridled, overwhelming affection of the Father because he's had this turn in his heart. Despite 
wrong expectations, uh, the younger brother is able to repent. He's able to experience the Father. He's able to know the Father's love. So ask yourself this morning, what's preventing you from experiencing the Father's love? What's preventing you from repenting? What's preventing you from turning away from sins of passion or sins of um, the, the older brother had sins of attitude? What's, what's preventing you from turning away from those and turning to something that the Father wants for you that is uh, everlasting, is glorious, is overwhelming for us? I want to invite you to join into the celebration. Not to stay outside in the field, not to stay outside of the house, but to join into the celebration. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are inviting us, that you're always inviting us, that you're always pursuing us. And Lord, we are so blinded sometimes So remove the veil from our hearts. Just tear it up. Soften our hearts. Remove the blinders from our eyes. Give us clear vision. Give us an open heart to turn from our ways, our iniquity, our sin, our attitudes of of, uh, just anger and bitterness and experience your love. It's as simple as arising and going to the Father. So help us to uncomplicate it in our lives and to just simply accept your grace and your forgiveness. We love you, Jesus. Amen.